Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Insider, brought to you, as ever, by Vanishing Inc. Today, on the line, all the way from Hollywood, at 10 to 2 in the morning, we have Mr Max Maven. Max, how are you this morning? I'm, I'm fine. How are you, Damien? I'm lovely, thank you very much. But this is a 30-minute show, so no pleasantries. We're, we're cracking <laughs> straight on. What's your origin story? And because it's you, you've got 56 seconds. <laughs> My origin story? Yes. Um, I once read uh, about a guy, I can't find his name, I've been looking, who was on contract on payroll at MGM Studios during their heyday, uh, and he had no job description. And he was, by all accounts, relatively unpleasant, walked around smoking cigars and had no great uh, acumen at anything except that every once in a while he would make a, a comment to a producer or a director. You know, he would say something like, I'm envisioning Tyrone Power as, as a bullfighter. <laughs> and they would follow that idea, and the movie that came forth would be a hit. Okay. And so just for those suggestions, he was paid to exist. And I've always felt that was my dream job. <laughs> so what I do is as close as I've been able to come to that. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> now, obviously, you think... And you've said that it's important to preserve the history of magic. But how can people listening, what can ordinary non-Max Maven people do to help preserve magic history? Well, um, the first thing is just to be aware of the need. Uh, you know, if someone performs something for you, if a friend of yours, another magician, you know, teaches you a trick... Uh, I would guess that most people in that situation don't say, oh, where is that from? They just want to get their hands on, on the secret. Sure. So if you, if you just kind of remind yourself to wonder and to ask and to seek out where did something come from, that by itself changes yeah, that's uh, a great the way you approach point. things. That's a great There's a point. wonderful, wonderful resource that I would like to tell your, your listeners about because they all have access to the Internet. Uh, there is and has been now for a number of years a website called conjuringcredits.com. Indeed. And the way this came about, one of my closest friends is Stephen Minch, mm -hmm. the uh, prolific author and, splen and splendid fellow. And, <laughs> and whenever I would come up upon a, a, a new piece of credit information all the more so if it was something obscure and, and unexpected, I would send it to Stephen in an email, mm -hmm. and he would do the same if he right. came across something and sent it to me. And then we had a just a file that kept getting updated and larger, holding on to this information. Uh, and one day, Roberto Joby was visiting Stephen, and Stephen showed him this file, and Roberto said, well, that should be accessible. That mm -hmm. should be a website. And, of course, he was right. Yeah. So uh, we, we pulled in a few other people, uh, most notably Dennis Baer from Germany, mm -hmm. uh, who already had a website uh, regarding uh, uh, card information. Indexing of books and stuff, yeah. Yeah. So he knew how to 
be a webmaster, how to mm-hmm. put, a, put together a site. And Dennis, uh, uh, we gave all this information to Dennis, who, who put it together in a very user-friendly format. So you can go on there and you can search any words and it'll show you, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're curious as to where, where a given trick comes from, uh, it's very easy to search for it. There's no guarantee the information will be there. It's by no means complete, but it's pretty full of information. And uh, it is free for the, for the using. So making use of resources of that sort takes no money and precious little effort. And if people were more in the habit of, of again, thinking in those terms, I think that would be a, a good thing for the history of magic. You've published more magic than probably anybody else alive. Um, what drives you to continue to create, Max? I, I used to have a rather flippant answer to that, and then I found that people got angry at me for giving it. <laughs> so I'll, I'll tell it to you, uh, but hopefully your listeners will, will understand that I'm, I'm trying to be amusing. <laughs> okay, uh, got that caveat the reason, in place. I, the reason I have published so many tricks is because I'm always looking for new material for myself. Right. And I find that if you push yourself to be creative and to come up with new things uh, that kind of creates a flow of more creativity. So the more you, you work on creating, the more you will actually produce. Okay. Now I, for my own repertoire, I keep very high standards. So not everything I create <laughs> is good enough for my repertoire. So the stuff that I, that I hold on to for my repertoire uh, is of a certain level, and the rest of it I publish for you. Well, thank you for your crumbs, Mr. Maven. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think is the perfect mentalism effect, and how does that compare to the perfect magic effect? Wow. Um, boy, is that a difficult question. Uh, I, I don't know that there are such things as perfect effects in magic or mentalism. Okay. I can say that uh, what they share is that the audience member gets at least a moment, and ideally more than just a moment, of really feeling... Uh, engulfed okay. in something impossible and mysterious and and head spinningly strange that it, you know that that they have changed uh. that 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 moment now they'll never look at the world precisely the same way again now that sounds terribly lofty and i'm I'm willing to work toward a very small version of what i'm saying sure but i do think that a great magical moment will stick with you forever absolutely i've i've experienced moments of magic that i can vividly recall and it's now six decades later sure sure so so i think with magic and mentalism uh that's the kind of goal uh what would make a perfect effect and I'm using that word really loosely only mm-hmm. because you brought it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put I it in like quotes. doing, but I like doing mentalism that 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 doesn't rely heavily on props or preparation, um, which is not the same thing as the 
there's a current oh, goal don't, don't. among young mentalists of doing topless mentalism. Yeah. And frankly, most of what I've seen, I, I appreciate the value of the goal, but the results don't hold up. Mm. Hit and miss uh, mentalism, one could also because call it. Because <laughs> there tends to be a great deal of failure, yeah. and mentalism allows for a certain amount of yeah. failure, but after yeah. a certain point, it's just, they say, oh, you're playing 20 questions, mm. or whatever the British version of that game yeah, yeah, is. Yeah, no, so, that translates. Um, so, so most of these things, uh, the, the so-called propless mentalism, involves... Uh, uh, no props, but it does involve massive amounts of procedure mm -hmm. with with un, undependable results. Mm. Uh, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I don't want to say that it's all terrible because that's unfair and not true. Yeah, sure. But I do think that a lot of it is wishful thinking, and it seems to work wonderfully when you're imagining doing it sitting at home and doesn't carry on in the real world, particularly in a formal presentational circumstance where you're at a nightclub or a theater or a sure. banquet or what have you, yeah. and, and doing a, a show for which you're being paid money by an audience that is committed to the time. Mm. Uh, I did a, uh, one of the things that I did a lot this week, uh, I, I was doing three 45-minute shows a night, and I, and I changed material around. I didn't do exactly the same set each time just because that keeps me yeah, of course. interested. Yeah. But one of the pieces that I was having fun with, because I hadn't done it all that much recently, uh, and so it was sort of fun to bring it back up to a, a prominent role, was uh, a book test that I've been doing for about 40 years or, or so. Hmm. Uh, I have in my library a large and deep shelf that is filled with book tests uh some of them exceedingly clever and i don't use any of them uh because i don't want to lug a book around and then have to put it put it away quickly mm -hmm. and then carry it home so i do a book test that involves two cheap paperback books that are kept by the audience uh and I get about 10 minutes of mind reading out of, out of this particular thing. Uh, and I think it's extremely strong and convincing. I think people really get that kind of chill of how did he know that and how did that information move from that person's mind into his and all of that stuff. And the books become very extraneous. You know, there are means of getting to a random word and then... They take them home. So it's totally unimportant for the yeah, what the and, books are. And, right. And 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 so is I don't I wouldn't say it's a perfect piece of mentalism, but it's up there. I mean it's 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 really strong. It's not about the props, it's not about the the procedure. It's about when we finally, you know, after the preliminary stuff, we finally get to the point that the person is thinking about a word, and I'm telling them, not simply blurting out the word, but telling them how they're thinking about the word, and I'm breaking down their thought process, and, and I'm composing in my own head, how do I assemble this information to find out 
eventually what their word is, and that I ultimately do. That's a good story. That's interesting. So the the performance of we don't. I don't need to go into the trick or the method, but the performance of it has some aspect of improvisation in it. From your point of view, you're you're creating a story around. Well, yeah, because I'm having an interaction with a, a, a member of the audience who I don't know. I mean, that's a story. Yeah. yeah. You know? Who inspires you, Max? Oh, boy. Um, I'm, I'm tempted to just sort of <laughs> brush that aside by saying anyone good. <laughs> Uh, because there is some truth to that, you know. I have I've always tried to uh, to remain open to being inspired and to learning from uh, people in other fields. So it's not simply watching other mentalists or magicians, but I have learned many things from watching actors and actresses in film, in mm. live performance, watching singers, watching uh, comedians watching how someone connects with an audience in in telling a story, in in using timing, in using silence, in in using movement, and all of these are things that that have inspired me and continue to do. You were at the castle at what many consider to be its heyday with Jennings and Vernon and Savon and Carlisle and so many more. Can you paint a picture for us about what an evening at the castle was like then? Well, um, I moved to, I first came to the castle in 1977 at the start of that year. And I moved to LA in late 1978. Uh, and when I moved here, uh, in part because I had just jumped 3,000 miles across the country, mm-hmm. I didn't have a lot of work set up. You know, it was a new territory sure. for me. And so, uh, initially, I had lots of free evenings <laughs> where, I, where I didn't have bookings. And so I would, and I, and I lived down the street. Yeah. Uh, so I would come over to the castle just about every night. Well, Di Vernon was there just about every night. I met Di Vernon in 1974, and I was thrilled. I mean, it was barely a conversation. I shook his hand and complimented him, and I thought to myself, well, he'll be dead soon, uh, <laughs> but at least I'll be able to say that I met him. Yeah, I shook his hand, yeah. And and instead, uh, uh, we wound up becoming pretty close friends. We spent a lot of time together, sometimes just the two of us, uh, and sometimes in, in groups of interesting people. And... Uh, so on any given night, the odds that if I walked into the Magic Castle that Vernon would be there, the odds were very high. Mm-hmm. And I started developing other friendships, some of which had, had begun before I moved to L.A., and some of which uh, came after. Uh, w- uh, one person I became uh, quite friendly with was Albert Goshman. Uh-huh. And Albert would call the club and have me paged. <laughs> And I would come to the phone, and he would say, hello, it's Albert. Other than you, is there anybody there I'd like to see? (laughs) And so that was kind of our relationship. (laughs) And Albert really liked having me in his audience. Why? Because he knew that I'd seen the act so many times Uh that if he made a slight change or, or if he had to maneuver around a, a minor technical foul or something he knew that i was following that 
in a way that the rest of the audience wasn't. Right. So whenever he was performing, and he did a lot of shows at the castle, not just the ones that were where he'd be booked for a week, but in those days, if you were dining in the restaurant area and you said to your waiter, I'd like to see a magic show, uh, they, they would find someone to come to your table and perform. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And if Albert was around, he had his act in the trunk of his car. Right. And believe it or not, you could get Albert Goshman to come to table your side. table and do a private show <laughs> oh my for $35. Wow. Because wow. he just loved performing. Yeah. I mean, that was, yeah, that was relatively yeah. cheap even then. Although not as minuscule as now, but uh, so whenever he had a show that was that he was going to do of that sort, if I was in the club, he'd find me and say, "I'm doing a show at nine fifteen over in the such and such room." Uh, he just liked having me in the audience, so I got to see him work hundreds of times. Oh, uh, so. I don't know. I mean, you know, there there were lots of different people, some of them uh, stranger than others, some of them nicer than others or or vice versa. But overall, there was this fascinating community uh, as the 70s turned into the 80s. There was this really amazing community of of L.A. magicians, many of whom, most of whom didn't start there. Uh. You know, they, they came from all different places. And. You know, gradually the old guard, and in the case of people like Di Vernon, I'm using the word old <laughs> very meaningfully, <laughs> and of course they eventually died, and yeah. uh, some of them just sort of disappeared from sight, and others literally died. And, you know, by the time we were into the 90s, uh, there was a kind of new face to the club right. in the 90s and the aughts. And there are certainly people who have complained, uh, saying, oh, you know, the good old days are gone, and the club is not what it used to be. And that's true. But that doesn't mean we can't make the good new days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At, at the risk of sounding horrifically optimistic. Um because there are a bunch of new and interesting people doing really, really good work. Uh, and so, you know, we've lost Charlie Miller, let's say. Uh, but coming up through the ranks in L.A. was Derek Del Gaudio. Yeah, I was just about to who say, went on to Miller, do this, Gaudio, this yeah. extraordinary show yeah. uh, in New York. He's now relocated to New York. But he came up through the castle. Yeah. Uh, there are people out in L.A. Uh, uh, right now. I mean, Mike Pichotta. I don't know if you know that name. I do. And we've just, we've just booked him for the session for 2020. Well, thank goodness, because I was pushing Josh and Andy to do that. Yep, done deal. <laughs> it's interesting that they didn't bother to mention to me that they'd booked him. We haven't announced it. We haven't announced okay. it yet. No. Well, then we've ruined it. We've ruined the surprise. <laughs> I think Mike is terrific, uh, a, a splendidly nice fellow, but also just a solid performer who was mostly doing close-up. But in the last couple of years, he's really started pushing stand-up as well. He won Close-Up Magician of the Year two times in a row at the castle. Uh-huh. Uh, this past Saturday night, they gave out the awards. The AMA Awards. Yeah, I saw some photographs. And he won the Parlor Award. Yeah. So the stand-up is clearly working. I Absolutely. mean, it's, it's really good. 
And he's a guy who is not well-known outside of uh, the L.A. area. Uh, but that's changing as, you know, as he gets uh, bookings such as uh, if he's coming to London next yeah. January. That's that's wonderful. Yeah, no, I, I my wait. guess is that he will, as you folks say, storm it. I think he probably will. <laughs> I think he will. And and deservedly so. He's, he's a, t- a terrific guy. Um, so there are younger people who are coming up in magic and doing really valuable, interesting work. Uh, and in fact, at the session, I've been to the last several of the sessions, and some of the uh, noteworthy Americans have been booked at previous sessions. The last session, uh, Jared Koff mm. and uh, Ben Seidman were both there. And these are two young guys who are out there in the real world working and who have some really... Uh, strange in a, in a in a very good sense strange ideas and and they're growing and i uh, you know they're good to begin with but each time i see either of them uh they've taken another step forward yeah no both astonishing so astonishing you know one so could just sit ar- <laughs> one could sit around and dwell on the fact of how many people are gone but I'm not sure that accomplishes a great right. deal. Right. You know, I uh, when I was coming up in Magic, there were a whole bunch of people who were already gone. You know, I never met Adaman. Mm-hmm. He was dead before I was born. Well, I could sit around lamenting that, or I could study as much about him as I possibly can, uh, in a sense, form an active relationship with him. Yeah, yeah. D- despite his his, death. his lack of being being <laughs> alive, um, but at the same time, you know, I did get to spend quality time with with Di Vernon or with Fogel or yeah. with uh, you know just a, a, a whole bunch of people. So there are a whole bunch of people who I wasn't too late for, but the people who are a generation or two past me. You know, they missed those people, but they've got other people. You know, I feel bad for the young ones today because uh, when I was young, I had Vernon to look up to and 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 Jay Marshall and and, you know, and and the 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 equivalent younger people today, they're stuck with me. (laughs) So I feel bad for them, but it's it's nothing I can do about it. We talked a little about not necessarily what's um, wrong, but some issues with some aspects of mentalism. So can you tell me what you think's right with mentalism today? Not very much. Okay. Here's the deal. Mentalism is really, really hard to do. Partly because it's not about anything. Uh. Most people do it. The problem with most mentalism, in a way, is the same as the problem with most magic. They're more similar than people realize. Most magic and most mentalism are completely self-referential. They are only about themselves. So, in other words, uh, mentalism and magic turn out to be demonstrations of a proclaimed skill or ability. Yep. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with that, except that it doesn't extend very far. Mm. A prime example of this sort of self-reference is juggling. I love juggling. I love watching a good juggler. And most juggling is only about 
a demonstration of a proclaimed skill. Sure. And it's great, but there's a reason why most good juggling acts are only seven minutes long. <laughs> yeah. Because that seems to be about the limit that that story of let me show you what I can do, that's about how long it takes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the audience's interest starts to wane. Sure. Well, of course, in mentalism, which is so often procedurally obliged to go through steps before getting to the mentalism, mm. it can take <laughs> take far more than seven minutes before the effect starts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, most of the mentalists I see, and I'm not purely criticizing young mentalists because I see this in most of the older mentalists as well, uh, it's, you know, mentalism has this reputation among non-mentalists as being boring, and it's a well-earned reputation. Uh. It mostly is boring. Now, there are obvious exceptions to that. Uh, and I would hope that I'm one, but <laughs> I'm certainly I'm, I'm certainly not alone in that category. But I would say it's a minority, and most mentalists really are boring, and the show isn't about anything but look what I can do, a story that gets old very quickly. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not terribly impressed with, with what I'm seeing these days. Last thing, how do you feel yeah. about people claiming to have real powers when performing mentalism? Boy, that's uh, uh, a really complicated question. Okay. And one that I uh, I could spend far too much time discussing, uh, the more, far more time than we have. I will simply make the following observation. When a mentalist performs, the nature of that performance affects the way people uh, interpret how the world works. Mm -hmm. And... That means that sometimes someone's going to see a mentalism effect, not even necessarily a good one, but they're going to go, oh, I guess there is such a thing as ESP. I guess this was a, a genuine demonstration of whatever. Mm -hmm. um, that means that a mentalist has a certain amount of responsibility uh, kind of baked into the performance. And to me, what's important is that the mentalist understands that responsibility exists and in some way address that responsibility. Right. But I'm not the one to tell them how to address it. Right, right. So if someone has seriously addressed that and has said, and I'm perfectly fine in convincing people that I possess powers that I don't possess, I'm, I'm okay with that, that ethical and moral choice, I may not be all that comfortable with that person's choice, but I will respect it for having been thought through. Okay. As opposed to someone who doesn't think about it, but just happens to fall into a morally respectable uh, point of view. Well, yeah, I'll take who doesn't, who, so, so that's the simplest thing okay. I can say. Uh, what, I mean, what, the clear thing is that people who say, oh, I've got a disclaimer, therefore I'm morally clean, uh, are fooling themselves. Four quick-fire questions, Max. Nothing to do with yes, magic. Sir. Your favourite movie? All About Eve. Favourite band slash musician slash composer? They're all questions, not and questions. Favourite person that makes music? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
boy, it's hard to get it down to one. You have to. Uh, I I like. Uh, can I tell you an anecdote? Sure. All right. It's going against the idea of quick fire questions, I know, but I let's know, go with it, Max. <laughs> plus, you you can edit this later. <laughs> Uh, a lot of heads were turned at last year's session because the last night Neil Gaiman came to yes. the show as my guest because Neil likes magic and, and we are friends. So some years ago when I first met Neil, uh, we were having dinner and we hit it off and, and we were kind of learning about each other. And uh, and he mentioned that his wife is a musician. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, would I know of her? And he said, well, she's not a superstar, but she's got a, certainly a, 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 a bona fide following. Mm-hmm. Uh, her name is Amanda Palmer, and she used to be in a group called the Dresden Dolls, and she's uh, out there performing and recording. And I said, okay. I said, I, I vaguely have heard of the Dresden Dolls, but I'm not sure I know their music. I, I'm not positive I've heard of your wife, uh, but... In fairness, she doesn't really fit the demographic of what I listen to because she is neither black nor dead. <laughs> so that will be my answer to what's my favorite music. Okay, black dead music. Oh, that's cool. Um, favorite pizza topping? E- either a plain margarita uh, or, or uh, maybe uh, pepperoni. Okay. Who would you rather fight? A hundred tiny Joshua's or one massive Andy? Oh dear God! Um, <laughs> I uh, I would fight the massive Andy. Okay. Max Maven, because thank I th- you. Oh God! Because oh, God, I think because. I could take him. You think you could take? I think Andy. I could take him. <sighs> and if I did, then I'd be done with it. Whereas the tiny Joshua's would <laughs> never coming. ever stop. <laughs> Max Maven, thank you so much for staying up late and talking to me. Nice talking to you, David. Be well.